Oh my goodness, we're back, 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 back again, scorekeepers. <laughs> <laughs> we in this. Um, welcome back to the score. It is the second of our um, clip shows, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better word. I feel like that makes it sound so Best of series. Retrospective. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Our 2021 <laughs> retrospective child. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, that's real classy based. Um, happy Kwanzaa! Happy Kwanzaa! Happy Kwanzaa! Happy Kwanzaa, everybody! Hope you and Are yours. Are Kwanzaa songs? Um, huh? Huh? Right? There must not be because we would we'd know them. I um, don't know. Before yeah. I let go. <laughs> I I don't I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. oh dear. We've been recording for a long time now. <laughs> Any we hope you all are enjoying um, you know, whatever you all are, are out there celebrating. Um, that you are having a wonderful time with family and friends, or if you don't celebrate anything at all and you're just taking this time to just rest and rejuvenate and get ready for whatever effery 2022 <laughs> has in store for us, hiding in your bunker away from Omicron. <laughs> um, you know, sending shout outs to you as well. Um, and once again, here is another um, set of some of our favorite moments from the past year. I think this is going to be mostly stuff from the summer, fall, and I guess the brief little kiss of winter. And it <laughs> um, was quite a kiss. It was quite a kiss. It was, it was a, a big old oh, yeah. tonguey French. <laughs> sloppy. <laughs> sloppy, sloppy. There you go. <laughs> But we hope you all enjoy, and we will see you on the other side with another installment of Pure Black Joy. Enjoy! There are two activists standing before me, but I only have one picket sign in my hands. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do y'all remember uh, that weird, crazy, dystopian nightmare fuel of a of a reality show, The Activist, that CBS had announced a few months ago, where I guess they were going to find the the best activist uh, with Usher and Julianne Huff and whoever else. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we certainly do. <laughs> and we had a lot to say about it. So to start off our, our second best of show, here is a little snippet of that conversation. <laughs> Y'all, um, we have something to talk about today. Yes, we do. Um, and it's very... <laughs> <laughs> So we are recording this on Wednesday, September 15th. So I don't know 
what will happen between now and Monday. Perhaps we will get the news that um, the activist, <laughs> the, the upcoming show on CBS has been canceled or yes. some such. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, it seems as though it's going forward as planned and premiering on October 22nd. I don't know why I'm talking like... Like, this is an ad for the show. <laughs> this is not an endorsement. Because it is not, because it is not, not an endorsement. It is not. <laughs> Lee, when you sent us that deadline article, mm-hmm. I started reading through it. And I thought, I thought you were punking us. Mm-hmm. I thought Ashton mm-hmm. Kutcher was about to come out of my closet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, and then I was like, well, surely this is an Onion article. <laughs> It was not, what the whole F. Right. It is not an Onion article. It is not a Black Mirror episode. It is a real, a real CBS show that clearly made it through multiple rounds of conversation so many to be people, premiering next month. So many people a had to be people like, yes. yeah. this is, oh, this is a wonderful idea. This is a wonderful here are millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do so I guess for people who don't know, do you want to yeah. ask them the premise of this I television will, program? <laughs> I will. Yes, I will share what it is. Um, so in a format very similar to Kel Supri's The Apprentice. Um, the activist... <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, no, not The Apprentice. Uh, yes, that is, that is what we're doing, because, you know, here we are over here in America. Oh um, the Activist is a new reality competition show where six activists from around the world will be invited to, quote, bring meaningful change to one of three urgent universal causes, health, education, or the environment. So you literally are going to have a reality show where activists will be competing in your, (laughs) you know, your reality show style, you know, um, mini competitions every week, mini challenges as the case may be, um, to do uh, what was described as missions, media stunts, digital campaigns, and community events aimed at garnering attention for one of the um, issues that they're bringing up, right? And whomever at the end of the season outlasts all of the others um, will win a certain amount of money for their issue. So while somebody's heart was clearly in a particular place, their brain was not in the same place, I'm thinking. Because if this doesn't sound like some televised version of the oppression Olympics that many of us analogize conversations to frequently, I don't know what is. Like, this is literally asking people to come on and argue about whether, I I don't know, you know, climate justice or reproductive rights or equitable housing is more worthy of funding than these other issues in this kind of TV competition 
context. And as a person who watches a lot of reality TV compositions, obviously Drag Race, a lot of cooking shows, um, making it a really awesome crafting show with Amy Poehler and Nick Offernod. Like, I love shows where people are getting to show their skills, their craftiness, their clever artistry that is not typically recognized. I cannot wrap my mind around this as a concept. And I do not understand how two of the three hosts, Usher and Priyanka Chopra, who I, I think are frequently people who have said things that sound like things that I might agree with in public spaces got roped into this. Um, the other host is Julianne Hoff. I don't know a ton about her except that she was on Grease Live and I, I wasn't here for it and that she did blackface. And I'm also not here for that. Yeah. But, no. you know, I, I, I'm at a loss, y'all. This, this, is a, this is a real thing premiering in five weeks unless somebody comes to their senses and realizes <laughs> that, you know, this kind of turning the activist, turning activism into the Hunger Games is, is just, is not the thing that we're doing right now, right? I right? mean, I don't know. I, the trip trip must have gone to Usher's brain. Because allegedly, allegedly. (laughs) 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 Like, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm just speechless. Yeah. I just realized I don't even know why Usher would choose something like this. And that is because I thought up until now, he's been one of those folks who's a little smarter about these things and just doesn't speak on what he doesn't know about. And somebody on his team said he should change that. And that wasn't a good idea. (laughs) And he really should have, should have left it that way. (laughs) 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 There's just things go wrong so often when, People who are primarily entertainers, and not that I'm saying you can't also be educated on activism and politics, that's not what I'm saying, no. but are asked to have an opinion on those things. Things just like don't typically go well when when that happens. No, they, no. they don't. And the fact that they're actually trying to bring some real politics into this conversation, this TV things being crafted for our entertainment, right? And not everything is supposed to entertain Mm -hmm. us. And the fact that part of the winner package, along with, you know, your Anastasia of Beverly Hills and your costume (laughs) jewelry, like whatever else they're offering, they will attend the G20 summit. So it's like somebody gets what's supposed to happen at the end of successful activist activities. They just don't understand the appropriate form for I don't know I feel like I'm giving somebody more credit than I really I really to. think you are I mean yeah. like yeah. like I I understand that it's you know global citizen is involved and you know on paper no on paper it doesn't even make any sense like no, I'm trying like I mean I'm trying to give someone some sort of credit somewhere where like perhaps <laughs> the intention of this is good but like 
I just can't help like that video that I sent you all, like the <laughs> woman on Twitter who is just like, mm, your climate justice proposal, it's a no from me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just can't, like, help. and the thing that, like, I just can't abide, right, is like, it would be one thing if, like, they just went, like, Full dystopian nightmare yeah. and it was like okay <laughs> like <laughs> you know into it yeah like the three of you like we have filled this olympic sized pool with crude oil you need to <laughs> swim to the other side get a duck that's that trapped in the oil swim back to the other side whoever gets the duck the cleanest with dawn dish soap <laughs> available at your local store like gets like $50,000 for their charity and 30 seconds to tell America why they should donate to it. Like that would be like, okay, like at least like, you're just like going whole hog. Right. Like this is just right. like super just Trumpian America. Like we can just like sit back and just like, you know, just vomit all over ourselves and just that. But you know what they're going to do? They're going to turn it into this like treacly, mm -hmm. modeling, mm -hmm. inspiration porn. Mm -hmm. It's going to all be like, well, no, no, it's just, you know, we're starting the conversation, you guys. We're starting the conversation. We're inspiring all of these people to start thinking about climate justice. Okay, great. All this conversing, all this thinking, cool, cool, cool. The world <laughs> is literally on fire. So perhaps we could have yes. taken all of those millions of dollars for the, for like that went into this production, that went into Priyanka and Usher's salaries, mm -hmm. and actually put some of that money towards some of these things that these activists are going to be on this show talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I, it, like it just seems so obvious to me yeah. that like yeah. it's scary that like not one person like not one executive like not like one intern like came in and like sort of heard what was going on and like dropped his tray of lattes on the floor and was like this is not good you all should stop doing this i know you're gonna fire me but this is a bad idea like not one person did that <laughs> i mean th like, this is what i want to know right and we get pitched all the time working at an opera company there are people who are like oh here's a piece that i wrote was this the thing that y'all produce? Here's an idea for a program I have. Is this the thing that y'all can do? And some of these are good ideas and some of these are not good ideas, right? And we have a mechanism for having a discussion about, can we pull this off? Does this make sense in the context of the work we do? Are we the right organization to deliver a product like this? How is that like not a thing at CBS? You mean to tell me of the... 10,000 people who must work for Viacom that like nobody was sitting back thinking, I'm, I'm, this doesn't sound right. Or aren't people going to laugh at us? Like if nothing else is the motivation, like why didn't somebody say, this is not going to look cute in 280 characters. Like we should sort of backpedal off of this. Like I can't believe that nobody in the building stood up and said, hey, is, is, is this it? And then furthermore, it's like, okay, so 
Like, what were the three areas of interest again, or of focus rather? Um, health, education, and the environment. Okay. All worthy causes, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. But in America 2021, no one is talking about racial equity. I was just going to say, so are y'all telling me that you're really, if we're going to like get to the true T of like environmental justice, are y'all really going to talk about environmental racism or like who's most being impacted, being impacted the most by far by environmental disasters right now? Are y'all really going to talk about like right now as we're speaking like the inequitable hurricane relief like or anything like that. I just or if we're going to talk about health we're not going to talk faith. about medical racism yeah <laughs> like and and this is what <laughs> this is no shade to the to the folks on the panel because I think if they were judging you know some version of so you think you can dance I think this would probably be a <laughs> oh. perfect panel but my question is let's say that you were completely serious about producing a show like this how did you get those three names as the people who would assess whether or not these activists were effective at their work in health education and the environment there is not an md an mph a phd an <laughs> on the panel like how did like i don't I do not understand. And I say this as a person who, if you want to take this back to 1993, my love of Usher in those days was intense, profound. He earned that poster that was on my wall. Like I really was at one point in my life a huge fan of his. <laughs> I, but never the, I, I yeah, skip me. <laughs> I got nothing on this one. <laughs> I was going to say, when I first heard this, I thought I thought two things. My immediate reactions were, this sounds a lot like The Hunger Games. Um, and <laughs> like you're asking people to compete over something that is like actually like vital to to them or well I don't know anything about the contestants but vital to somebody yeah and you're making it other people's entertainment okay also (laughs) somebody who you know does some organizing and knows people who are organizers I was like do they know how freaking hard that job already is yeah. And you want to ask people to to compete like <laughs> compete to be some top activist like what do what do they win like being overworked being god <laughs> having a personal FBI agent <laughs> like <laughs> what is like, that phrase win play silly games win silly prizes yeah exactly. i think that exactly is We've learned nothing from the Sean King debacle. I mean, clearly, right? Like, the activism is not a game, and it is certainly not a TV show. Not this kind of TV show. Please don't say his name three times in a row or he appears. (laughs) 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 The nicknames for me. Oh, my God. (laughs) God. That was Black Twitter at its 
absolute best. <laughs> Absolutely. It was just like, I love us. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is astounding. I am very curious about the Target demo. Like, who out here do they think is watching this, right? Because I feel like most progressive people mm-hmm. are hearing this and hearing, oh, this this sounds wrong, right? And I would imagine if people are on the more conservative side of the spectrum, this is probably not a thing that's of interest. So so who is really sitting at home saying, this is exactly what I'm looking to do with my Wednesday nights or whatever? Like, I... I Help me. I know it's not the young people because no. they be socialist at 13 these days. So <laughs> I don't know who it's for. <laughs> Just the idea that like some dude is sitting around going like, oh yeah, I, I donated to Kyle Rittenhouse's, you know, GoFundMe last week. But, you know, I sat down and I watched The Activist <laughs> and they were talking about saving whales. And oh, you know what? <laughs> my mind, my mind has changed. It, it, my, my heart is, is, is open. Like, like what? <laughs> I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I've been really trying to figure out in the last few days, like what this is about, because everything about it, it like nothing there. The kernel of logic is just missing from all of it. It's it's missing from the idea. It's missing from the network that's going to carry it, because a lot of what is on CBS is not speaking to the folks who I think would they thought they were targeting and then, of course, this judging panel. Well, you know, I think it's just a case of, like, you know, people wanting to have their cake and eat it, too. And I had a similar reaction to, and I know that this has been discussed to death um, at this point, but, you know, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's dress at the mm-hmm. Met Gala, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I absolutely admire Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. I think she's tenacious. I think she's brave. I think she speaks truth to power. But that dress, you know, if you all didn't see it, she wore a beautiful white dress um, that said tax the rich um, in big red letters as she's going into, you know, a $30,000 ticket um, event at the Met. Um, You know, and... I I think it's great that it was, you know, designed by a Black woman. She is, you know, supporting artists of color. I understand that she did not pay for her $30,000 ticket. I understand that she did not buy the dress, um, that she was just modeling the dress. However, when I say have their cake and eat it too, it's just like these, you know, especially in the wake of last year, I think we were talking on one of our earlier episodes, like one of our greatest fears is that, you know, there's all of this, you know, movement, um, all of this, you know, excitement um, when it comes to progressive causes, specifically um, racial equity um, in the wake of George Floyd's murder. It's been this year of, you know, hope and reconciliation and healing and whatnot. And so things like that dress, things like this television show are the ways that it's like, oh, see, 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 like, like we're, we're 
you know, we're not down with capitalism. We're not down with racism. We're not down with, you know, misogyny and all of those things. And like, here's how we're signifying that. But at the same time, (laughs) 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 behind the scenes, you know, we're making all of this money um, so that we actually can continue like perpetuating the same system. Um, And it's just, it, it makes me so angry um, because it really is, it's, it's for me, you know, doing this work day in and day out, you know, accepting this position, um, you know, looking at the two of you doing such wonderful work, doing seeing all of the people around the country who are doing this work, who really care about this, who really want to see the world change, who are really down there in the muck like fighting every day. It makes me so angry on their behalf um, because it's just, it, it is. It's exactly the word that Julianne Huff used. It's just, it's so performative and yeah. fake and so obvious. Obvious. <laughs> and so obvious. obvious. Yeah. So pivoting back to opera real quick, um, this past July, we were blessed to be joined by Asian-American tenor Andrew Stenson, whose career has just been blowing up these past couple of years. Uh, And we had a chat with him about what it's like to be a person of color um, performing um, night after night um, in opera halls across the country, across the world, really. And what is that pressure like we asked him um that pressure to you know be excellent um to represent and uh to succeed and uh he gave us a really a really thoughtful and nuanced answer and so uh here's andrew yeah i i remember as a kid i went to this very sort of you know quote unquote elite sort of prestigious private school in the DC area, and I had this one teacher I remember is my my tenth grade English teacher, and my mom came back from a parent teacher conference. The only time I've ever heard her refer to anyone as a blue eyed devil, <laughs> but he just he just hated me on site because I just was like you know smart and like driven and sort of interested in the material and in challenging him. And he gave me a C on a paper once that was not a C paper. And that was that moment that I was just like, you know what? I'm going to, from now on, like, make everything just unimpeachable. Like, you have will have no choice but to give me an A. <laughs> so, like, that story just completely resonates with me. I'm no Larry Burnley, obviously, but <laughs> maybe I will be. <laughs> the one thing, too, the, the, the flip side of that, too, is for especially like people of color to trailblaze in this industry, you must not only, you, you must be exceptional mm-hmm. to sit at, a, at the level playing field. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and that is an incredible burden. I mean, yeah. So much pressure. So much. Yeah. 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 We've talked about that. And I mean, I've, I've heard people in all, all sectors of the performing arts talk about that, even among us administrators as well. And, and feeling like there's, you know, there's so few, um, 
or there's a scarcity, you know, mindset of, you know, what you have to compete for and then having, you know, tough skin because you're, you're scrutinized that much more. And I was going to ask a different question, but now I'm curious, like, (laughs) what do you do? What do you do to stay, to stay grounded? Like with, in dealing with that, with that pressure or, you know, what do you, what do you come back to, to build yourself back up? And even if it's other people or, or colleagues, like, what does that look like for you? Uh, for me personally, um, I, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of colleagues about this stuff too. Everyone in the arts, they have like those handful of experiences, those shows that, um, that for me personally, I always feel like I'm doing my best work and I feel the best uh, at work when I feel like I'm part of a team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that we as an ensemble, a cast, a company, et cetera, et cetera, we can say something with one voice and that everyone feels equal, um, that no person is more important or less important than the other, that we all depend on each other. And knowing that some people have your back and that are able, when, when you can't lift any longer, you know someone else will be able to lift. That is, that is all the comfort in the world as a performer to me, no matter how hard it gets. And that's always the kind of thing, you know, one of the one of the greatest things I felt like I've ever been a part of was to be a part of Candide. Mm-hmm. Um, and Candide has like magic powers for some reason. <laughs> um, and it was such an intense show. And you just, the moment downbeat happened, you were just running, going, going. It was like doing a musical. You just have no time to breathe. You have no time to think of your lines. You maybe have time for a glug of water. And then you just go to the next scene, go to the next scene, you know, and you see it uh, because Candy is front and center most of the time, but every other person in the cast is furiously changing, running left and right, moving set pieces, etc. And if something doesn't get moved or something doesn't get locked, somebody could get hurt. And you have, a, have to have a lot of trust in everyone else as well to make it happen. And when we are just kind of going, 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 and we get to garden at the end, we all take a big pause, we all look out and we say something together. And that metaphorically, I guess, for the piece, but also from the literal work that we're doing, that the struggle for something like that is worth it when you have people to share that experience with. And so facing these things in certain environments, knowing that you have people in the world who will face those struggles with you. You know, that's like, as we, we continue to develop, develop our Asian community in the industry, you know, Vu was in that showing Candide. And I remember talking like that, um, that panel with Theater Mu, that's, it's such an event for me personally to be in a show with other Asian people that, you know, uh, Kristen Choi is Pat Cat and she's like, she's like a sister to me. You know, I've just had the opportunity to bond with these people so much and I feel very close to them and I feel like we are in this fight together and that that's a reason we keep going and a reason I get up in the morning. So for episode 11, we played a uh, another round of fire that canon with our amazing, brilliant uh, 
former colleague, sadly, um, the Reverend Dr. Rebecca Blackwell. And she, (laughs) well, she read Aida to filth. So (laughs) enjoy, uh, enjoy this snippet of us talking about our thoughts about Aida. (laughs) All right. So we're going to go to our second and final opera of the day, uh, which is Giuseppe Verdi's Aida, librettist Antonio Ghislanzoni. I like it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's my specialty. (laughs) Do you like some Ghislanzoni? (laughs) It premiered on Christmas Eve, 1871. Aida is an Ethiopian princess held captive in Egypt in love with a general, Radames, and he with her. When he is chosen to lead a war with Ethiopia, we follow the conflict of Aida's love for both Radames and for her country. Do we keep it, or do we fire the cannon? I'll start with you, Paige. I keep it with stipulations. (laughs) 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 With some guidelines. No more white Aida's. That's it. What about, wait, wait, what about uh, Anna Netrebko? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One more time for folks in the back of the room. <laughs> I think we just got our, our episode title. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Just no more white. I, I, every Ethiopian I have met personally has been black. Pretty much. There, uh, there may be, there's probably non-black Ethiopians out there somewhere, but One they're sparse. Two. Right. And they, they sparse. can't always be Aida. Like, <laughs> that's not how that shakes out. No, no. So, yeah. Well, well okay, okay. Actually, in my, in my world, it's not just Aida. It's anybody who's part of her posse, her crew, her yeah. squad, her nation, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. No more. (laughs) (laughs) Your facial expressions are taking me out. (laughs) Because I feel very strongly about it, but I'm trying not to cuss. (laughs) (laughs) The score director's cut. Late night score. (laughs) I'm with you, Paige. Um, I like Aida there's a lot of that I like about it and it's an opera I would love to direct um so if anybody that's a a big job it is a big job and if anybody's got the budget and is looking for somebody to pull you together an old nasty piece of Aida please reach (laughs) out to me on LinkedIn or Facebook um I think it's a very interesting work I have a lot of ideas about it I have seen not very many satisfying productions and a lot of it has to do with how it is cast, and then also like some of the weird Orientalism with like you mm-hmm. know, yeah, they it's put together in a curious way. And I think if you know we're really sort of thinking about what we know of the time and sort of ethnic migration patterns and who was living where when, I'm not convinced that Aida and Amneris would have looked different, right? Mm-hmm. And what what kind of production is that? You mm-hmm. know, so mm-hmm. there are lots of things that I would be interested in seeing with the piece. Um, but I don't know that I need to see another, like, all-white Aida ever. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like your Aida mm-hmm. would be fierce. Yes. I think so, because I also I have so. sketched out a couple costumes. <gasps> Whoever's yes. listening and has a budget. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Can't Come on. We <laughs> have our email. Dance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. now, I'm, now I'm interested. Now I want to see that. Dance. Yeah. Like, like you're like on the ones and threes, or you just, you're, you're oh, nowhere. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I, I am firmly on the two and the four. <laughs> um, but the the flexibility is not what it used to I be. See. Okay. Yeah. I see. When I was duck walking around the house, it was a very quick thing because those knees kicked in, and I was like, "Okay, my oh. my dancing days are oh. over." <laughs> 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 well, at least you got down there and you tried. Yeah, I sure did. <laughs> you gave it the old cut. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca. Okay, I have to admit, I was a little surprised we're not firing. It doesn't sound like we're firing this cannon. So maybe the the uh, thing here is responsibly, right? What's the casting like? What's the direction like? Of course, under Lee Bynum, it would be incredible. So I'm, I'm a, I, you know, I, I am intrigued by this. You know, what, what can we do with Aida to, to tell this story responsibly? I think at the end of the day, I'm still a little hung up on uh, who wrote and told this story mm-hmm. about two countries in yeah. the height of 19th century imperialism. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a story about Egypt or Ethiopia. That's a story about Europe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And decontextualized with these stereotypes, the Orientalism, as you were mentioning, that's still perpetuating Oppression, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. it, like in the, at, at that time, uh, Orient, Orientalism was used to you know, promote imperialism to make other countries vulnerable to imperialism by um, putting out these stereotypes. Uh, and I think that Aida does a lot of that. And Italy occupied Ethiopia in the 20th mm-hmm. century. So mm-hmm. like what did, what did that art serve historically um, in terms of oppression? And you can't art you know there's this like art doesn't have to be political. Why are you making it about race? You wrote an opera about race for political purposes. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't <laughs> it's it's such incredible like societal amnesia that we can put up Aida and say, I don't understand why we need to talk about these things. So, okay, I won't fire it, but I think (laughs) any, anyone putting up this, this opera needs to dig deep into that conversation and understand the origins of this storytelling. I, okay, two steps I'm so glad that you sort of brought that because I, I always kind of feel like the, that moment sits very uncomfortably, I think, especially for the, the Italians with, like, the Battle of Adwa and, like, Menelik and Tetu and the fact that Italy in its, you know, aspirations of being able to colonize Ethiopia had 99 problems, right? Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that is also, for me, part of why it's interesting, right? What, how can we use it as a commentary on this failed colonial experiment? Mm-hmm. But I really like what you said, and I want to sit with it and and spend even more time thinking about 
imperialism than I already do because <laughs> it, it does rear its ugly head in our art mm-hmm. at all times, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And what are we yeah. supposed to do with that, you right. know? I do wonder how do we feel or how would we feel about a production of Aida or understanding of Aida where it's not through this same colonial gaze and maybe like for instance it actually recognizes that Ethiopia is in Africa (laughs) (laughs) and doesn't try to make it its own act like North Africa is its own continent or like Europe Junior like the (laughs) so what about an Aida that like I feel like maybe that starts there Mm -hmm. would be real different Mm -hmm. and like looking at it through the lens of like Black or, like, African women's leadership would be much more powerful. Mm-hmm. I, You're welcome for whoever I gave that nugget right. to. I love all of these ideas. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is fascinating. Yeah. When we get this $100 million from Bezos, we are going to make a production. <laughs> We're going straight to the moon. I was going to say, in a Hitachi magic wand. <laughs> that, that goes on the director. <laughs> <laughs> So it sounds like we're going to keep it for now. <laughs> <laughs> some guidelines. Yeah. yeah. Paige will write down the guidelines. Yes, yes, yes. There'll be, some, there'll be some rules going forward for anyone who wants to produce it, but we will keep it for now. So uh, on episode 15, um, same episode where we talked about The Activist, um, we were joined by professor and composer Trevor Weston, my Bayesian cousin, um, who treated us to a masterclass, just a masterclass. Seriously, if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it because it's so great. Um, But just all about... um, Black contributions to classical music, the classical music tradition, um, the creation of, you know, the new American sound. And I ended up learning so many things that I had no idea about. Um, And it really was a special conversation. So here is a small snippet of that. So I also teach in the MAP and pre-college program at Juilliard. And uh, this year, I was asked by Weston Sprott, who was the dean pre-college, to teach an elective course. And I gave him a few ideas. So I'm teaching a course called Creating the American Sound. Mm. Mm. So we've had one class so far, and we talked about, you know, what is America? Why do we have to talk about creating the sound? But in doing so, I've gone back and you know, looked at the writings of Dvorak. We're going to discuss that next week. We've only had one class. But I know that he was interviewed by um, Harper's New Monthly. And they've always, I've always seen quotes from that. But everyone should read the whole kind of discussion that he lays out. Because he's responding to critics, saying, I know I'm not from here, but this is what I think. And so he said, you know, it's a proper question to ask what songs then belong to the Americans to uh, to the American and appeal more strongly to him than any others. Okay. The most potent as well as the most beautiful among them, according to my estimations, are certain, excuse me, are certain of the so-called plantation melodies and slave songs, mm-hmm. all of which are distinguished by unusual and subtle harmonies, the like of which 
I have found in no other songs but those of old Scotland and Ireland. The point has been argued that many of these touching songs, like those of Foster, meaning Stephen Foster, have not been composed by the Negroes themselves, but are the work of white men. While others did not or originate on the plantation, but were imported from Africa. It seems to me that this matters but little. One might as well condemn the Hungarian Rhapsody because Liszt could not speak Hungarian. And to me, that's powerful because Stephen Foster wrote coon songs, coon songs coming from minstrelsy. So that was the tradition of white Americans first imitating black music. So at the same time, ridiculing our music, but also in a way, weirdly enamored with it. And that's been the history of American music. I mean, I was going to say that continues up to this day. Exactly. (laughs) Dvorak is like, I don't care. I don't care who did it. You're all doing black music. Like, that's kind of my my takeaway. Like, I don't care who wrote it. Mm -hmm. It's still coming from the same source. And in in essence, that's who you are. And that's what you need to focus on. Because if you think about it, why is Porgy and Bess so big? Because Gershwin created an opera that sounds like music from Black folk. Mm. I mean, and that has always appealed to all Americans. We can't have hip hop, can't have funk. You can't mm-hmm. I mean, go down the list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even now, the way people talk. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> yeah. I was in class the other day and the kid said, bet. I said, excuse me, what did you say? <laughs> and the funny thing is, like, he was trying to explain it to me. Like, no, 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 I know what it means, but it's just, you know, I grew up with, that's my my music, you know? And to hear, you know, uh, a co-ed from a predominantly white school saying bet is something I never thought I'd experience. So even the way Americans express themselves verbally is coming from our our tradition. And it's not like we're saying you have to do that. It's been American forever to figure out what we're doing. As my father used to say, people taking the subway uptown to see how the black people dressed, how they walked, Mm -hmm. how they spoke and how they danced. That's black people weren't inviting them up there. (laughs) So (laughs) like, Hey, come and dance like us. That never happened. So that's the reality of who we are. So I think that when it comes to, you know, what is American music and what should institutions do? They need to reflect what America actually is and base the music on that. I mean, that's, then you'd have more people connecting or more people obviously involved because it's a true reflection of what American music is. Okay, wow. So I'm going to make a quick note to enroll in Juilliard and (laughs) (laughs) So for episode 19, we were joined by living legend, Twin Cities theater icon, activist, educator, T. Michael Rambo, who just came through and just... (laughs) He's just amazing. He really is just so smart and compassionate 
uh, such a huge heart, such a brilliant artist. And I couldn't choose just one clip, so um, (laughs) I went with two. So first, we're going to hear from him um, about his use of the term people of the global majority, which I would like to submit to um, the council um, as a replacement, perhaps, for the term BIPOC. I just think it's really lovely, um, especially the way that he explains um, the way that it resonated for him, and hopefully it resonates with you all the same way. And second, we're going to hear just really some of the most beautiful, heartfelt um, advice to uh, young artists, um, well, really, as as Lee says, to middle-aged artists as well, but I think to all artists, no matter, um, you know, where you... uh, how old you are, where you're from, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It just really um, hit me right in the feels. Um, So if you're looking for some inspiration to get out there and create something beautiful in 2022, um, I hope you will heed his advice because Lord knows we need some beautiful things in 2022. So um, enjoy. So um, one thing that I'm curious about, um, so... Uh, one of the running themes of this show is um, we have been trying to find um, an alternative for the term uh, BIPOC, which um, I guess for those of you who don't know, I'm sure probably all of you know, um, but Black, Indigenous, People of Color. Um, and a few weeks ago, Lee told us about something um, that he heard from you, actually, which is people of the global majority. And I just loved it so much. Actually, we loved it so much that we named our episode that um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, where did that come from? And... Um, you know, how, how can we make it catch on? Because I really want it to, uh, to catch on. <laughs> it came out of, um, it, it, it came, it, it came, it happened in two ways. Ananya, uh, who, Ananya's last name, I challenge, I'm challenging saying it correctly, so I'm not going to butcher it. But Ananya's dance company and Sarah Bellamy and a number of us were doing a, a walk um, we were walking through the communities, showing community support, and we were walking from each direction, from people from the East Arts community, St. Paul, the West, the North, and the South, and we converged in, in, in St. Paul. And one of the walkers said, look at us, we're just a global majority. Mm-hmm. And when... Um, when she said it, uh, one of the walkers said it in a way that just was kind of like, hmm, and it resonated with me. And then I went into another conversation um, that was um, um, facilitated by a sister who, uh, whose name now is going to escape me, but she does social justice work and she convened a group of people together through theater, um, 10,000 Things Theater, and she said global majority in her conversation. I was like, chat as that's who we are. And and I and I say it and I own it and I embrace it because it is time for people who stand in this work. I'm gonna go back by deconstructing why I'm never and always sidestep BIPOC. 
it's divisive, it's divisive, it's binary, and it's more the same. Black, indigenous, and the rest of y'all folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other people, mm-hmm. you know, it's people of color, white folk, you color, you got color. Sometimes it's red, sometimes it's black. It's all color. Everybody got color. <laughs> so, so it just all of a sudden, for me, became just a way of saying, well, anybody else. And, and it, felt, it felt very flip and very like, with no agency and just like, I don't even know who came up with it, but whoever came up with the thought was really clever. And I said, no, it's not clever. I either say African-American, I say black and brown bodies. I say people of varying communities. I say people who, who sell, who, who have a, a, um, a loving heart and a breathing affection, a breathing, uh, a loving heart and a breathing affection. You know, I, I talk about all these different things. And then I said, global majority is who we are. We are no longer a minority. We never have been a minority. We've always been a majority. And we have embraced a capitalist, we have embraced a Eurocentric, we have embraced a, a construct that continues to, subvert, to sub, submerge us in a belief system that we are less than. We are marginalized, disenfranchised, a minority of people who need to find a way to really be more. We've always been more. We always, and we are more. We are more, there are more of us as a global majority than any other group of people on the planet, but yet we consistently live in a country that says that we're we're minorities. I don't get that. I don't believe it. And while it's hard for people to hear when I say it, I say it and then you're like, global majority, what are you talking about? It sounds so, mm." I said, because that's true. And, and that's what we, we really have to um, remember that there is power in all of, of our bloodline. And the vast majority are indigenous people. Yes, this is true. But we are a majority. And we have a right to stand in that truth. And we have a right to remind those who choose to relegate us to a less than a marginalized status that's not who we are. And that's why there's so much fear and that's why there's so much conf- conflict and there's so much um, vitriol and, and animosity and so many levels of things that are hurled against global majority members because we can't have that because how can what we created work? So if we want to dismantle racism and systemic racism and white and privilege, we have to recognize that white privilege comes by letting people believe that they're less than. And so global majority is, is who I think we are and who I know we are. Knowing that you're an educator as well, I wonder what you what do you say to young artists who are emerging and who also want to see and be a part of some of these changes that you're describing because they don't like the inequity that they see either. So what advice do you do you give to young artists? The biggest advice I give to young artists is to plant your feet, claim your space and speak to the room. And and to be fearless and to commit to being unstoppable and commit to being um, a force of nature. And whether that be a tsunami or a hurricane or a beautiful rainbow that 
trickles down like leaves cascading to the ground below. We have to really do what we can to be the experts of our experience to the extent that we make sure that others hear what that story is. Um, and so I tell students all the time to uh, be, be as well-read as possible, uh, to seek original sources, to resist the urge to welcome the words of others as truth without knowing your own truth because their truth becomes yours. And that is not always accurate. It's, it's, all, it's oftentimes to, to our own detriment, you know. And so we have to find our own truth. Uh, and so I ask young people to really um, be willing to be uncomfortable for a while, whether that be um, not having immediate gratification and having the best ear pods or, or doing <laughs> But to, to know that this too shall pass, or as my great-grandmother on my father's side would say, baby, it's going to be okay. And even if it's not okay, it's going to be okay. And it took me years to understand when she would say that, what that meant, but it's like, this too shall pass, but it's going to be okay. And even if it's not okay, with time, with being mature and adult and learning the lessons of life, it will be okay. So there's no reason to be ruffled and uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, but just like fearful that your, your time won't come, it will come. And it's just a matter of, take, of, of being present. And being present is a difficult thing for our, our culture right now, being just in the moment. More and more people are talking about it, but doing it is hard work. And I find I, I'm challenged by it all the time. I'm challenged um, by being silent and being able to listen and being able to just uh, hold my space. I want what I want, and I want it now. I'm a big king baby. <laughs> you know, I have to watch those things. And um, I think also I tell young people, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And we've heard that before, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, that is a word. <laughs> and so I really encourage them to always find two or three other people who you either don't agree with, don't align yourself with, or don't know as much as. Because that's how you'll get to know what your own truth is. Because, you know, it's like, um, we, we never really know who we are until we know who we're not, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. We never really know who we are until we find out who we are not. And, and, and that happens when we're in rooms with people who don't look like us, who don't agree with us, who are smarter than us. And it's okay for somebody to be, I mean, I, I, I love it. That, that lead man right there next to you, that's a smart, that's a smart uh, little braided. And I just met him, he'd be holding the cuts like, mm -hmm, y'all need to know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm listening to you, I'm conjugating the verbs for you, I'm clocking your tenses, because I know what you're going to I'm watching people. I'll be watching them. But yeah, so that, that's what I tell you to people. That's um, not just great advice for young artists, that was also some wonderful nuggets for middle-aged artists too. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
So ostensibly the score is a podcast that is uh, dedicated to talking about issues that concern people of color in the opera world, classical music, theater, etc. Um, and I don't know, maybe sometimes that can come off as a little highbrow or esoteric, perhaps. Um, but I can assure you that we are, all three of us, ravenous consumers of media, uh, pop culture aficionados. And so from time to time, um, the show takes a detour into... Um, you know, issues that are happening in the zeitgeist. And we love to talk about, you know, reality television, The Bachelorette, uh, pop music, uh, things like that. Um, And so one of the things that we are constantly joking about um, is that, you know, at times, like, maybe this should just be a RuPaul's Drag Race podcast because Lee and I just have a deep abiding love for um, both the domestic and international versions of the show. Um, And so I guess it was this past summer, um, episode 14, uh, we were just stupefied by the performance of one Silky Nutmeg Ganache um, in her... I, I I'm I can't remember what they were calling it, but basically she had to compete in like seventeen lip syncs in a row to get back in the show and she each one was just more incredible than the last and so we were just gagging um over her eleganza and um so for our pure black joy for episode 14, we just <laughs> gave Silky her flowers and we had a great time doing it. And so uh, this is a little snippet of that conversation. But stay tuned um, because afterwards um, we've got a special pure black joy um, for the end of 2021. I don't think I have to tell anybody that 2021 was... <laughs> 2021 was... Uh, a year. <laughs> uh, it was it was kind of rough. Um, so we just want to end this year, though, on a on a good note, um, and just send blessings to all of you um, for 2022. Hope that it is a good year and that everyone stays safe and healthy. Um, so stay tuned for that, and we will see you on the other side. Um. Shifting gears entirely. Yes, let's shift them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we could be shifting gears anymore. Except, except, you know what? <laughs> Silky not my ganache. Oh, we, we just have to, we have so to take a soldier minute. Soldier of trash. She really, <laughs> she really, really did. She did an extraordinary job. We just have to give her her flowers real yeah, quick. I'm absolutely. <laughs> it was one of the, you know, everybody on, on Drag Race tries to call themselves legendary for, like, a range of reasons. I'm the mm-hmm. first girl to wear a purple sequin gown on a Tuesday night. Like I all did two of... death drops right. in a lip sync. Legendary <laughs> status! <laughs> <laughs> but that sweep through six girls in a row was legendary. Um, I'm a huge lip sync fan. I grew up lip syncing in the mirror. My cousin and I would have all kinds of lip sync competitions and I would win everything. So (laughs) I have a special place in my heart for what Silky did. And I have been saying to anybody who would listen for the last couple of years that if Silky got the right showcase, she would demonstrate a skill set that I don't think came through nearly as clearly on her season as I was perceiving i just i could Mm. always tell with silky there was something more than we were getting to see and some of that was also just like how rue would respond to her Mm -hmm. like they would 
pan out to Rue and you see she's just beaming from ear to ear and it's like you like her you like her for a reason and <laughs> she's just wonderful those are some great lip syncs and even the one that she should have won where she came out there chomping on those potato chips <laughs> <laughs> that Missy Elliott garbage yeah. bag suit <laughs> <laughs> see I don't even watch it I know I like her already <laughs> well see that's the thing because I feel like if you watched her original season she didn't come off very well okay she okay. was just very she seemed very full of herself mm-hmm. not just like confident but like arrogant mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. there were times when she had like the goods to back it up yeah. but then more often than not it was like girl what are you doing what is going on <laughs> what is happening <laughs> with your pads <laughs> and the pads were an issue they were just yeah. an issue and just you know some of her choreography and jokes didn't land but you know she came back to this season and you know, she was talking about, like, she wasn't really able to book jobs because people mm-hmm. were seeing her as a sort of, like, arrogant person that they didn't oh. want to work with. Um, that, like, a lot of her sort of, like, mistakes and, like, you know, foibles and whatnot were edited, were put into the final edit. Okay. So you didn't really get to see, like, the full wet width and breadth of her, her talent yeah. and everything that she was doing. And then she got eliminated, like, third. Yeah. And so she comes back to the game within a game and then just mows down. Yeah. <laughs> she wore the Jiggly. Yes. And then... I'm, and Jiggly is a good and lip singer. She was... Yes. And I mean, I was sad about that because I love Jiggly. I love Jiggly too. But... Yes. Um, but like Jiggly and then... I forgot who it was after Jiggly. Oh, um, what's her face? Uh, the Scarlet. Yeah. Scarlet, uh, mm, whatever. <laughs> um, and then Jan, Jan. and oh, yeah. oh, she's Not so doing tired. The so. No, yeah. no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then Pandora, which what even was that? Yeah. Pandora looked great, though. I I will say she looked good in that lip sync, even though it was. Clearly not a song she was going to be able to... But she's doing Ariana Grande, like, dressed as, like, the madam from, like, a 1920s, like, Western... <laughs> like, Bordello. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this, like, lacy teddy with, like, this, like, big, like, silk robe that it, she... It really was. It was just, it like... Really with like victory curls and right, like no, <laughs> absolutely not. You know and when, then and I'm then sorry, you and no and, and then I was just gonna say and then Eureka and that was just tragic because she was trying to do a reveal. Um, and got stuck, and got stuck in, in her, her in, the missy, oh, in the missy in the missy thing and she was like uh, 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 oh, like no. trying to get out of it and so it was like if she had gotten out of it then she would have won. I okay. I agree or she just decided to stay in it and, yeah and just. But the I will tell you where Silky got me because Damien was never on the same page and we have some knockdown drag outs about drag race. <laughs> but there was one of her early appearances on her season where she came on the runway dressed as Eveline from The Wiz. Mm-hmm. And it was it was so perfect. And I am one of those people I could perform The Wiz right now. Front to back. Front to back, <laughs> top to bottom, all the roles. I'm with you. I got the ad-libs in the background. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I'll be the munchkins, I'll be the crows. I know all the parts. <laughs> we should have a whole show dedicated to The Wiz one day, but it was, it was just something that did my heart 
just so good to see her yes. come back and improve what she was saying about mm-hmm. herself, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, we as people of color do not always get second chances in this country, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that she came back and demonstrated, I meant what I said, I really am very, very good. And, and we yeah. all saw it. And <laughs> even though she didn't get back into the competition because she lost that last lip sync, um, I mean, she just cemented herself as just, did. like she said, the lip sync guru. Yeah. And, like, now she's going to be booked and busy for the rest of her life. The rest like, of her life. Everybody's going to want her to come in, like, oh, do you have the... the? Oh, I forgot about the one, the one where... So, Akiria didn't... Right. Um, oh, yes. This. She didn't want to come back to participate. She got eliminated. And so she, she was like, no, thank you. Bye-bye. I'm leaving the competition for good. And Silky was like, okay, well, I'm taking this, like, very seriously, and I have prepared a whole performance, so even though she's not here, I would still like to perform for you. And, girl, she did Barbie Girl yes. by Aqua, and she was dressed half as a woman, half as a man, and just, like, kept, like, Whoa. going back and forth. And Work. then started rolling across the stage. Head LaBelle style. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, was ama- it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I don't usually sort of, like, you know, lip syncs are fine. But, like, you know, like, there are certain ones where it's just like, oh, my God, I can't. Mm-hmm. Like, Dieter Ritz doing Natalie Cole. Right. Or, um... Uh, Brooklyn Heights versus Evie Oddly doing the Demi Lovato. Like, that one was amazing. Yeah, that was great, that was, in, that was incredible. One. But, like, it has to be, like, really special for me to be like, ooh. And, like, when she started rolling across that stage, Silky, and, like, come on, Barbie, let's go party. And then rolling <laughs> over on her back, like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I lost my uh, S. like it was amazing so you know big ups to Silky Nutmeg Ganache absolutely you you did that and well I think that's where we're going to leave it now I guess we're a drag race drag race podcast (laughs) we've always been a drag race podcast I guess we always have a drag race podcast Dokely, we are back with <laughs> Pure Black Joy, um, the final Pure Black Joy of 2021, and I will turn it over to whoever wants to go first. Ooh, I will. It's peanut butter jelly time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And my... Hit a page. Hit a page. <laughs> I told her, I've lost my mind. I've lost my I had mind. to get it in there. Yeah. It's, it's peanut butter jelly time. Uh, uh, peanut butter uh, jelly uh, time. Uh, peanut uh, butter uh, jelly uh, time. Uh, peanut uh, butter uh, jelly. Uh, peanut yeah, butter jelly. Yeah, peanut yeah, butter jelly. Yeah, get it. Get it. Get it. <laughs> my uh, snack for the soul is um, something I saw this past week. From an artist I absolutely love, a black country artist by the name of Valerie June. Um, Oh, I know her. Yes, she is wonderful. Her one, her music is beautiful. She's so talented. Uh, Two, her locks are goals. I'm trying to grow them like that. (laughs) I am trying to grow a set like that. Oh, they're so majestic. Yes. Um, And... This past, uh, I think sometime this 
fall. It's hard to tell exactly when. She had her debut at the Grand Ole Opry. And she is from Tennessee herself. So it is a big deal. In case you don't know, the Grand Ole Opry is like the place to perform if you're a country mm-hmm. music artist. Mm-hmm. Like that is, you know, that's the mama I made it. <laughs> like if you <laughs> so apparently she recently got to say, Mama, I made it and performed on that stage and just wrote the most beautiful reflection on it on her Facebook page. If you look her up, you can you can check it out just reflecting on, you know, seeing um other artists who have been there like growing up in Tennessee and that being the goal and how important it is to her as a black artist doing country music to um to have made it there. And you know, she said she's she's not a person who who talks about um the obstacles that she's had that much as a as a black country artist, although they've definitely been there. And I especially want to highlight like what she has what she said about not focusing on on that because it would be too just like soul sucking for her. Mm. Um, and it just reminded me of like what this segment is all about, about mm. um, the things that are life affirming for us, you know, and she acknowledges that, you know, for some people in my field who are also black, like it is life affirming for them to, to speak up or, you know, they're, they're made for that. That's part of what they want to do to speak up about racial issues specifically within it. And she's like, I have a different mission. Like that is so important. And like, I'm cheering those people on and I love what they're doing for all of us, but my music is just meant to have a different tone and I just really love that and I respect that that yeah. she is like this is my lane this is my mission and like I love what all of us are doing is so necessary yeah. um moving mm-hmm. forward and it just made me love her even more so check out Valerie June and also you know through um looking this up I found out there's a whole website like dedicated to black country artists mm-hmm. called blackopry.com so, you know, if that's something that you're interested in, um, check out Black Opry. I am not a huge country music fan, but I really, really enjoy it since um, it was presented to me when I was learning guitar as a youngin. And so hearing it from that aspect, like studying guitar just gave me a real appreciation for country music and for Black folks placed in it since the since the beginning that was also made clear to since me that yes yes it's not just charlie pride it's a lot of folks who have done some right. really exemplary musical work in this space yeah thank you Facts. for highlighting that page yeah i know how much of your stuff y'all get from robert johnson and sister rosetta tharp and people mm-hmm. like that like <laughs> <laughs> i know that's it for me. Check out Valerie June. <laughs> I have a teensy little piece of pure black joy um, coming from everybody on the impact team. We are very excited to have Faye Chen with us. She is a Woo-hoo. staff member we hired this past summer after doing a national search. And um, because it was a national search, she was working remotely from Indiana for the last couple of months. And as we are recording this, she is right here in the office. It was so great 
to be in her presence today. And she's been such a wonderful addition to the team already that we just wanted to do a quick little salute to Faye about how excited we are to have her here. Welcome, yes. Faye. Welcome, Yay, Faye. Welcome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and my pure black joy, it's just, I'll keep it short and it's corny. And this has been my pure black joy before, but you know, well, I have two. First, <laughs> um, you know, presumably, um, you know, this is coming out on the 27th. So presumably I will be back in DC for the first time in two years. Thank you, wow. coronavirus. Wow. <laughs> um, so just want to shout out Chocolate City and I love all y'all and I love my, <laughs> all my friends and my family and my parents and my sister and my brother-in-law. Um, so I just can't wait for those, those kinds of hugs, you know, mm -hmm. that kind yeah. of spirit. Um, but also just, you know, this podcast was sort of a little idea that Paige and I were bandying back and forth, like, wouldn't this be cool? <laughs> and then Lee came in and said, yes, it would be cool. And I would also like to be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, Give me some. <laughs> and ever since then, this has just been just the highlight every two weeks getting to sit down with you and um, just be my authentic Black self in the middle of this crazy whirlwind of a year in this crazy whirlwind of a company and this crazy whirlwind of an industry um and really you know talk things through affect some change meet some cool people and you know make some who i hope are lifelong friends so y'all are my Aww. pure black joy um, and I can't wait to see what kind of shenanigans we get into in 2022. <laughs> there will be shenanigans. There will be shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. That's all I've got. Oh, I did my old ticker good. Oh, good, good. Well, everyone, that is it for today's show. Um, we will be back in 2022 with all sorts of fantastic guests. We've got uh, Janina Burnett, Broadway star, Met yeah. opera performer extraordinaire. We've got uh, Nina Yoshida Nelson, co-founder of the Asian Opera Alliance. We've got costume designer Ari Fulton. We've got all sorts of people we're going to fire the cannon some more i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> i think we're probably gonna do something on uh carmen a hip opera i hope fingers crossed i heard that rumor too yes <laughs> oh, somebody hinted at it maybe maybe so there's all sorts of things but the way that you can help all of those wonderful things come to fruition is to go and leave us five stars five Go like the golden rings on the tree <laughs> <laughs> that your true love gave to you or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, leave us a review if you are so inclined. Um, subscribe, tell all your friends because we want to keep doing this. Um, and we want um, to make our, our community as big as possible. Oh, <laughs> 
And here's a funny story. I don't think I told either one of you. So like we've been sitting here and we've been going, you know, oh, like write to us at um, MNOP or the score at mnopera.org. We want to get your letters or whatever. And I was thinking like, it's really strange that we haven't gotten one single email. Turns out, turns out I looked into it. Turns out that the emails were not forwarding to me in the way that they should have so all of your emails have been just lost on the internet for the last however many months so if you get an email from me apologizing profusely for not answering (laughs) your first six months that's why (laughs) but (laughs) it's all working properly now all of the emails are coming to the correct inbox i have been receiving them um sorry about that um we'll do better in 2022 (laughs) we just sort of have to name admit our mistakes do some cleanup work and and we'll do better in 2022 so the score at mnopera.org is a thing that actually works now (laughs) please write in we want to hear from you ideas you know potential guests you know things you disagree with things you agree with and we actually might read your letter. Out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we promise you shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, the shenanigans have started already. It's not That's even. That's all we can promise. That's all we can promise, really. <laughs> okay, everyone, go enjoy your new year, have fun, and we will see you uh, in January with some new, fresh content. Hooray! Yay! Yay. How exciting! All right, see you soon. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. Bye.